You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hello. We're just laughing for no reason here whatsoever. How are you? Have you I'm, recovered? Yeah, you know, I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, let's talk about why you're so tired because you've been working your tush off. I have. I think I'm more... Uh, yeah, it's been good. I'm, uh, I'm very busy and it's great to be busy. No, but the reason why I'm really tired is it's the morning after. The morning... Explain what? Yeah. The morning after what? The morning after my husband has reached a milestone birthday. I can't believe he's 60 already. <laughs> <laughs> he's scowling. Yeah. My husband is reached the big 4-0. Oh, the big yeah. air quotes. The air quotes. Uh, so, do you remember that, Holly, far back in the distance? No, I don't remember, remember when 40. You Wait, let me think back a couple of eons ago. Mm, nope, don't remember at all. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I had actually planned a whole day of complete surprises for him. Which for a long started, time, this has been under... Oh, this has been for two months, I planned it. Mm-hmm. And it started at 8.30 in the morning. Now, my husband, he goes to bed late at night, yes. around 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And he normally wakes up around 10. He, mm-hmm. he That's just, especially on weekends, mm-hmm. that's what he does. So, he was not expecting that at 8.30 in the morning, three of his friends to walk into his bedroom, tell him to get up <laughs> and uh, start the birthday day. And he, I organized a whole Atlanta-wide treasure hunt. Well, not treasure hunt, scavenger hunt. Scavenger, yeah. So they had to go and find clues all around the city. And part of those clues they sometimes had to do, or my husband had to do tasks. So one of the tasks he had to do... Okay, so I... The friends that came round, one of them was your husband. Yes. The friends that came round, they didn't know what they were going to do on the scavenger hunt. Nope. They were in on it, but they didn't know what the whole scavenger hunt was going to be. So first of all, they had to go and find a totally unknown statue somewhere in the middle of Atlanta, which was really difficult. And the only thing that I gave them was coordinates. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed that they you found coordinates. They had to work out wow. coordinates for I where the statue that. was, and they uh-huh. had to go find it. And yeah, anyway, it was great. The next one, one of the clues was... Uh, my husband likes. My husband doesn't like fish, but he loves Coke. Mm-hmm. In between fish and Coke, there is going to be something that you'll recognize. So, where in Atlanta is fish and Coke? Where is wh- where do you think that is based in Atlanta? What is the Georgia Aquarium mm-hmm. faces the Coke Museum? So they worked out that that was where it was. And in the middle of it, as they walked up to towards the Coke Museum, they just saw his guitar. <laughs> his guitar was just. <laughs> That, that was the something that he, he was going to recognize. And what he had to do with the guitar, okay, now my husband's a great musician, and he's played Buddy Holly in the West End and all over the world, and Hank Williams and all these great musicians. And he's great doing it on stage, but you ask him to play in front of just a random group of people, and he will hate you forever. I know, I heard he was less than enthusiastic so, about having to do this. That was think. part of his task. He had to stand there in front of all the Coke security guards <laughs> and all the, the Japanese tourists waiting in line. <laughs> 
And he had to start, and he gave me the look of, I swear to God, I'm going to kill you right now. Welcome to 40. He was pissed with me. Um, but he played, and you know, because he's such a great musician. What did he play? He played Rock This Town. Oh, yeah. Stray Cats. And he's so good. He's so good that well, everyone started, like, bopping and moving around, and he's giving me the eye. Like, I really, I'm going <laughs> to... But people really enjoyed it. Anyway, did, you, uh, did, he, did anyone give him money? No, nobody gave him. We should, we should have thought to put a hat down. In front no, because Coke security, because the security of the Coke Museum told me oh. that he's not allowed to uh, ask for money. Right. I said he's not. He's not. He's just going to play. He's a not busking. He's just entertaining. Yeah, right. <laughs> but of course, it was Veterans Day there. Right. It was a Veterans Day parade. Um, right oh. outside. Yeah, but we were there before the Veterans Day parade. I made sure mm. of that. Fabulous. I got to go. Alex got to go into um, a helicopter. <gasps> yeah, one of the uh, army helicopters it was awesome. Anyway, throughout this, Alex and I were setting up all of the clues before the boys got there. And so one of the clues, for example, he got to this place and found his friend from New York, his best friend from New York, who school friend we hadn't seen for a long time, just standing there waiting for him. He'd That's flown in that awesome. morning. It was awesome. And then the treasure at the end of the hunt was four hours zip lining tour <laughs> up at Lake Linear. Amazing. Huge heights, uh, eight zip lining tours. And I didn't realize when I set the, the whole thing up that your husband is scared of heights. <laughs> I forgot to, I forgot too. I didn't really think about it either. So it's my fault. But you know what though? Here's the deal. You just saved him thousands of dollars in therapy because he did it. He got over it and now he's fine. And then when he says to me, when I say, Hey, we're going to go do this. Oh, I'm afraid of heights. I'm going to be like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Not so much. You did it in front of the boys because you had to. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But the pictures were unbelievable. Yeah. So if it, lately it was great. If you want to go zip lining, go up there. It was awesome. Wow. And um, and then after that, mm-hmm. the boys brought him back. And of course, ta-da, 35 other people standing on the front lawn of our house. Surprise party, friends, family. We were all there. Just welcome in now. Yeah. So here's the deal. I'm so tired though. I know, right? Well, you don't have to do it for another 10 years again. Think about it. It's nothing big until 50. Thank goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Can't do it anymore. It was awesome though. What a fun and thoughtful thing you did. So I hope he he appreciates you. uh, He's worth it. Aww. He is. He's worth it. He's he's my rock and... uh, it was great. I, I am very tired, though. And, of course, I had to find out how can I plan this for two months without my husband knowing. Right. That was hard. I felt like I was having an affair with 35 <laughs> other people <laughs> texting then deleting my texts right. so you couldn't see them. Well, and ask him, how does it feel to know that 35 of your closest friends have lied to you, to your face, right. and kept something from you? <laughs> and it's easy. And it was great. We also had one of his friends, a lovely, a lovely guy, Carter Smith, who came in from Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he arrived that evening and sort of came, walked through the back door and Van looked through. This is during the party. And Van yeah. looked at him and was like, <gasps> <gasps> I'm seeing a ghost. Yeah. So it was great. That's awesome. Well, you need some sleep, so we'll do this fast and, you know, definitely need to rest. You know, you mentioned um, Veterans Day weekend, and that is this weekend. Yes. And, oh, you know, it, it gives us pause to think about, you know, we go about our daily lives and what's happening in places, unless you're watching the news, what you don't realize what's going on in the world and how men and women and dogs are really you know, fighting for us, keeping the world safe, doing, the, you know, the most altruistic thing you can do. And so I know from both of us, just to say thank you to all these veterans. I mean, there's really no way to say thank you. I just, I feel like it's not enough. I, I you know, and I think the biggest thing that we all could do is support the vets when they come back. Um, you know, they're over there, we're supporting them, we're thinking of them. There is a um, really great website. Um, it's called anysoldier.com. And I, I, just want to pimp it because I've done this a lot. I do it uh, often where um, 
troops overseas will, it doesn't matter where, whether it's a combat zone or non-combat zone, they will put on there just things that their troop needs. Um, someone will be, you know, the volunteer for this, and they'll write down whether it's shampoos or soaps or DVDs or a football, and just put down things that they want. And then, you know, you pack up a box, and you just send it to any soldier, and you put down who it is, and it gets to them. And, you know, it's just one of many websites that do that, one of many organizations, but that's a great thing to think about this weekend. Secondly, too, you know, also think about our veterans that are returning, um, helping them settle back into life. And whether or not they were in a combat zone, they still have been away from home, away from friends and family. And so there are organizations out there trying to help people get settled or help get help that they need if they have PTSD or, you know, physical injuries, things like that. So, and then also our dogs uh, who are over there, and we don't realize how many of them who are actually risking their lives and giving their lives for what we do. So for I would like to say personally thank you. I just think it's you know the most amazing thing you can do for anybody. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for everything you've done for us. Um, and I think a lot of people still... We hear Afghanistan so much in the news, Afghanistan, and I think people become desensitized to what mm-hmm. our troops are doing out there. So, yeah, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, as we remember that everybody today on Veterans Day, uh, I really, I got very teary when I saw the, the decorated, the old decorated mm-hmm. vets at the parade yesterday. Isn't that great? Yeah. You know, there's still um, descend. I mean, think about descendants of people, military families from, you know, all these, all the different wars and how appropriately that this weekend, the movie Lincoln um, opened up this weekend and I saw it and it's brilliant. If you want to see an Oscar winning movie, it's going to, it has Oscar written all over it. It's Steven Spielberg directed. Beautifully done. Daniel Mm Day-Lewis. He's a freak of nature. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about this. You forget that you're watching an actor. You think, oh, there's, there's President Lincoln. Sally Field, who was not as big of a part of it, but when she was on there, boy, she was powerful. I mean, she, she's one of the best actresses, I think, of our, of our time. And then Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, my gosh. He is ridiculous. And, and just, he's so, he's so scary good. I mean, everything about this. And it really makes you go back and think about things you didn't like. For instance, the whole point is this, all this is, is the last, was it four months of his presidency he was trying to abolish slavery it's all about the 13th amendment that's it and about how he wanted to get that passed and you know obviously ends with his death we know where it's going i didn't spoil anything he dies but um (laughs) it was a it was a really great movie so if you want to do something you know on this veterans day or coming into the you know thanksgiving holiday lincoln i definitely recommend it I totally just took a left turn there, but I just had to tell you. It no, was it's great. great. I think we should change this from a dog po- podcast into celebrity news. Okay. What great films to go see. Because you <laughs> know it all. I'm really boring compared to you. No, you're not. Did you see Skyfall yet? No. Don't oh. ask me this, Holly. You see, you see everything before me. Who's no. your brethren? I'm like the last person that goes and sees all these things. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, come oh, on. He's wonderful, Daniel Isn't Craig. He? Oh. I know. Who's your favorite Bond? I think he is. Really? Yeah. Look, mm. I was I, I I kind of grew up with Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. That was my that was my first Bond that I remember. No, really? Yeah. Not um not Sean Connery. No. He's my favorite Bond. Yeah. Well, Roger Moore's not my favorite Bond, but he was yeah, yeah. the first guy I remember. I think Moonraker that freaked me out. <laughs> Jaws with his with his jaws. Um, and. Yeah, but Daniel yeah. Craig, I think, and, and they were saying that Ian Fleming wrote Bond 
to be this kind of compromised mm-hmm. character that he's not such a perfect man that he does get bust up that he does have demons yeah and that's how Ian Fleming wrote him so Daniel Craig is personifying yes. that he'd probably be my second close second favorite because just I don't know maybe pining for my youth with Sean Connery but um, the interesting thing I'm not going to say anything about the movie but uh, this is that they're definitely setting it up to give you more about Bond and to start to delve into those demons and I like it because we're starting to learn more about him as opposed to just watching what he does and I, I love it it's the psychological aspect of it coming so there's that film there's also Argo don't ask me I, haven't mm. see, I have not so seen good. it that's got Oscar written on it too Ben Affleck I have a new appreciation for mm-hmm. him Want to see all of those three? Those are my top three, I would Have say. Have you seen yeah. Argo too? Yes. See, gosh. This yeah. is the, really? <laughs> look at that. Uh, no, come on. I'll take you to movies. We okay. and I will go to movies. But look, yeah. last weekend I was in Denver. Yeah. And I was at the bike conference. See, my Victoria Still Positively bike conference. For the record, Prevention. the reason that you don't is because you are busy. <laughs> you are busy making a difference in the real world. I sit in a movie theater. You actually do things. Well, no, I would say that you help out a lot too. Hello, with all the charity work that you do. But, but talk about the bike conference. What you got a lot of great uh, leaders in the industry and people who yeah. are very prominent about this. Yeah, Jim Crosby, Claudine Wilkins. We had animal control officers from um, all over the country. There, we had trainers. We had uh, educators. It was. It was a great conference, and a lot of people, again, I'll say it, as I said in my last podcast, was annoyed that we went to Denver because Denver has the pit bull ban. Mm-hmm. And no, I will I will celebrate the fact that I go to these places because if we can't just have an opportunity to educate the people there, I'm going to. Just because Denver has a pit bull ban doesn't mean I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to boycott the town and I'm not going to go. That's not even going to make a dent on it. I'm going to go and face it and tackle it and say, look, this is wrong. This is wrong. I think that what you're doing is wrong. And here's why. And I'm going to give you the facts why. Mm-hmm. See, I don't think when you when you talk about facts of um, how many literally bites there are, what different kind of breeds, how breed-specific legislation doesn't work, um, you know, people, the, the lawmakers that actually make the breed-specific laws don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. You could you could give them all the evidence that you hmm. have, and there is just bags of evidence, a lot of which we present during our bike conferences, and they just would they would just turn a blind eye. It's called living in the bubble. Yeah, it really is. And but that's not gonna, not going to stop me going. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. The importance of this was, and I think the most defining moment of the whole conference was the half an hour just incredible talk that Joey and Carrie Perk gave. Now, for all of you who want to know, the Liam J. Perk Foundation was established in memory of their son, two-year-old Liam. And Liam was killed by their Weimarana. And that's important to note. It was a Weimaraner. It wasn't a pit bull. It wasn't a Rottweiler. It was a Weimaraner. And he was, it it happened, um, when he was just two two years old, just mm. a little above two years old, so sad. And it was it was an accident. It really was an accident. But they saw they they now recognize what those signs were. And Lloyd was exhibiting the Weimaraner was exhibiting body language which showed that he wasn't that comfortable. Uh, when Leon started walking, when he was a toddler, and he started walking, became two year old, a rambunctious two year old. 
Lloyd would go to sort of the door of the room and kind of turn his back to the child. Or he would just try and take himself out of a room and take himself off to his bed. Or he would do certain things. Sorry, the, the phone in our studio it's is okay. going. Um, he would, he, there were signs. He would lip lick a lot, sign of stress. Mm-hmm. You know, now they realize what these signs were. Now they realize that they, they, they can look back and go, we should have recognized those signs. And they're, uh, they, they, there was no holes barred. They told us exactly what happened. They mm-hmm. told us about their life leading up to Liam, about the amazing joy of the birth of their first son, the um, joy of their t- two gorgeous dogs, their two mm-hmm. gorgeous Weimaraners, their move from an active lifestyle to Colorado, from Colorado and a lot of space for the dogs to run to Florida, where the dogs were having a hard time adjusting. Mm-hmm. And... Then they told us of what happened, the event of what happened that day, that evening, what it was like, how he tried to stem the blood from his son's neck. And all it was, Liam just ran past Lloyd quickly. Lloyd just got him, one very quick bite in and out, and it cut the jugular vein. Mm. So it really was an accident. This dog wasn't going after him and attacking him. It was just just just, Like, I've had enough. And boom. And you know he they take they take us through that what it was like to be at the hospital, the policemen coming the 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 surgeons that what it was like afterwards. I mean, there was not a dry eye in the house, mm. and you're having two people talk about the death of their child there. Mm. That's the reason why we're there. You got to realize that these kind of dog bites, these kind of fatalities, you're more likely to die in the bath than you are from a dog bite. Mm-hmm. You are more likely to die in an electric chair. And be on death row than you are from a dog bite. But um, this unfortunately happened to them. It was a tragic accident and it's something that we need to address. So one death is too many. Right. This year up to now, we've had 27 deaths from dogs, all kinds of breeds. And one death is too many, especially mm-hmm. when it's a child. So, sorry, an adult as well, but I'm just saying sure. for a two-year-old, it's it's yeah. incomprehensible. So the Lian. J. Perk Foundation was established in order to um, bring awareness and education to communities throughout America and beyond. And it helps parents, dog owners, create safe and healthy environments for their children living with canines. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find out more about it, we've got to post a link on the podcast page, but you also can go to the org, and you can find out all about uh, about what they do. They have the Let's Talk Dog Awareness sign. So when you go on the page, go for that and, and find out more about that. And um, that's a sign that you can put in dog parks, you can put up in schools, mm-hmm. posters in schools, just telling kids, recognize the signs. Right. These are the signs. Right. The dog's uncomfortable, that you shouldn't. And if a strange dog comes up to you, this is what you need to do. Right. So uh, Joey and Carrie are going to be coming around for other di- dog bite conferences. And if you want to hear more and you want to hear them speak in person, then we're going to be having more conferences next mm-hmm. year, certainly Great. in Miami, in Orlando, in Austin, Texas. We're going to be all around the country. And it's great. I mean, it's it's really about education. That's what it is, is understanding dogs and understanding your relationship with them. And, you know, they're, they're feeling animals. They're feeling beings. So, of course, they're going to have, you know, their moments and their reactions. And it's our responsibility 
to understand that mm-hmm. we have to shoulder that burden. They can't. They can't speak to us and say, I'm a little uncomfortable with your two year old. Can you please get him out? I'm nervous. I think he's going to bite me. He's going to, you know, they can't say that. Yeah. And remember that, yeah, this wasn't a dog that was growling. No. This wasn't the dog that was, that was barking viciously. This is a dog that literally had the subtle signs turning my. I'm going to mm-hmm. turn my back to him. I'm going to leave whenever he comes into the room. I'm going to just little subtle signs. So anyway, after that, um, I had a lot of my wonderful Victoria Still Positive dog trainers there too. And uh, thank you very much to Carrie Bastier um, and uh, from Wagon Train for setting this up. Um, it was it was an awesome event, and from Anne from Wagon Train as well for setting this up. If you want a trainer. In Denver, please contact Carrie Bastier um, and Anne from Wagon Train. They are awesome. We also had some of my other Denver-based trainers there, Louisa Morrissey and Laura Brody. Then my girls and I and some of the other VSPDT trainers flew in, and we all had a weekend up in the mountains near um, for a retreat. For your dog trainers. For, for our dog trainers. Oh, how nice. It was great. And we went up in the mountains just to clear the, <laughs> get a clear head <laughs> yeah. after what was a pretty trying day, but mm-hmm. a clear head. And also to talk about the future of, mm-hmm. of what we're doing and what we want and how we're spreading the message about positive reinforcement. It was fabulous. So to all of you who came, to all of you trainers, you're an amazing, amazing group of people, and I'm so honored to know you. And you did some, did you do some interviews while you were there for us? I did, well, folks? actually I did. I went to, um, that was a little, that was, yeah, I know it's confusing, but it was a couple of weeks beforehand. I was at the APDD conference, okay. um, the Association of Pet Dog Trainers Conference. Oh, okay. And I did some great interviews there. So we have one interview now. And um, this was Sue Sternberg. Sue Sternberg mm-hmm. is a trainer up in uh, the New York State. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to meet with her. So let's uh play that right now shall okay we? yeah great the positively hotline is ringing we don't know what we're gonna do we have no plan we're just here who's calling in this week he went after her like she's made out of ham that is interesting that's exciting um is somebody gonna answer that hello hotline ringing you're on your phone and i don't think you're taking any of this seriously It's Victoria Sewell here. I am here at the APDT conference with the most amazing trainer ever. Her name is Sue Sternberg. I know you've heard of her. She is from the Roundout Valley Kennels up in New York State, and she's going to talk to me today. I actually had um, the chance to go hear her speak this morning on resource guarding. It was fascinating. It was eye-opening. Um, and I just hope that more and more people learn from what Sue's got to say about this. Thank you so much for joining me today. And um, can you tell the people who are listening to this a little bit more about yourself? All right, so a little bit more about myself. I'm, I'm a dog trainer as much as I'm a shelter person. So I've been working in shelters and been working in dog training since 1981. And um, I am a, a student of temperament. I study the the behavior and body language of dogs to help trainers and to help people in shelters. How has, have you seen the sort of, the, the, have you seen it change in the years that you've been working in shelters? Have you seen it change? Are there more dogs being surrendered now? Are there less? Are you seeing a change in behavior, a change in the home environment? There's definitely a change. Um, I started in the, um, 
80s and it was there was just way more dogs way more overpopulation and so in a lot of areas you'd see uh, litters of puppies litters and litters of puppies come into the shelters and litters of puppies are the indicators of overpopulation when somebody can't find homes for puppies you know that there are more dogs than there are homes you rarely see litters of puppies today most common dogs to end up at a shelter are adolescent or adult dogs um, they're not markers of overpopulation, they're markers of the economy or of problem behavior sometimes in the dogs um, or a financial crisis with a family. Um, we're seeing a lot less dogs today. It still all seems full and overwhelming because shelters are simply holding the dogs longer. Years and years ago they would hold them three days and euthanize or five days and euthanize or 48 hours and so shelters, the length of stay is increasing now. Um, and that, that brings up all sorts of problems of quality of life that are not being properly addressed. There are lots of people out there that think, and I'm really not from this school of thought, and I get criticized for it, that no dog should ever be put down. Once a dog goes to a shelter, they, people like the idea of no-kill shelters, and um, what happens is that dogs are being warehoused, sometimes for months, sometimes for years. I've been at shelters where dogs have been there for four, five, six years. What do you say to people like that? We're definitely in a no-kill uh, mentality, and that sounds good on the surface. What it sounds like is that we shouldn't be euthanizing a nice dog for you know arbitrary reasons. The truth about um, what goes on is you say, well, what do you do with a dangerous dog? What do you do with a dog that shouldn't be out in your community that is going to maul somebody, literally maul somebody, um, or you know hospitalize a child, or kill somebody, or kill your pet dog? There are dogs that should not be out in our community. There are dogs that simply are not pets. They're outside that range. They weren't bred as pets. They haven't been raised as pets. And now they end up in a shelter, and people think we can somehow churn them out as a safe pet. Cannot be done. Um, and when you when you say, well, there are dangerous dogs that, you know, no matter how good a trainer you are, you can't make them viable, then you say, well, what do you do with them? Do you keep them in a kennel, in a shelter cage the rest of their lives? Because you're talking... Life, lifetime, interminable amounts of time in, in a kennel. And when you look at it through quality of life and you ask, well, how do you deal with the behavioral, emotional, and mental health of a shelter dog who's there for the rest of his life because he can't go in the community, cannot be rehabilitated, then the, the no-kill issue takes on a different tone. And then you're like, well, you know, is that life better than death? And of course, we don't know. We don't know, except I'll tell you that I've been traveling to shelters since 1994. I have seen way more cruelty to animals from within our country's shelters than I ever have from the general public. That is a devastating statement. It is the truth. And the length of stay for shelter dogs is increasing um, as time goes on. I would absolutely agree with you there. Again, I, through my work, am able to travel and go around to see a lot of shelters, film a lot of shelters, and it's very distressing because even though these animals are getting food and water and they have shelter, their men mental enrichment needs and their physical activity, it, it's just not being taken care of. And it's, it's, it's awful to see these dogs going through what essentially looks like to trauma. Yeah. It is trauma. And I, I've, I've been to no-kill shelters um, who are now in a dilemma. They're like, well, every single one of our cages is filled with a dog that's been returned multiple times, has bitten people multiple times, and they're realizing they can't keep adopting him out. And he's bitten and mauled people who work at the shelter. So they're like, well, what do we do? 
I'm sorry. The euthanasia is not the enemy. Um, we have made it into our enemy. For some dogs, it is not the worst thing that can happen to them. Once you understand that they're not all fixable, they're not. But there is this whole idea in this country and, and in other parts of the world as well that every dog can be fixed. Every dog can be fixed and no dog should be put down because of behavioral issues such as aggression. And it's out there and there are not just, and we're not just talking tens of people, there are thousands of people that actually believe it. And so if you do have, for example, on one of my shows, I had a Cocker Spaniel that mauled a child five times and scarred that child for life. Um, and when the, the dog was put down, I was called a dog killer. And I had all kinds of people that wanted to come and kill me. Um, they saw the child, the child speaking on television, showing her scars, and yet they still thought that that dog should be rehomed. Now, you, I know as well that you also get criticism for, for saying that, yes, some dogs are unworkable and some dogs should be euthanized. How do you deal with that criticism? How do you deal with what I essentially think and believe and know is ignorance? Oh, I tell you, it's very hard. And I, um, it, it's, it's, appalling to me how cruel people can be to people in the name of thinking that we're being cruel to animals and um, again you know I think once you've really seen seen a dog who's suffering every single day in a kennel environment in the name of no kill the dog is aggressive multiple bites he's violent low thresholds these things are not curable and you're not talking about the dog is in a home, there's no kids around, there's a committed owner who will manage the dog. Even then it's not curable, you just have to train somebody to try and sequester the dog into success. But um, these are dogs that don't have a home yet. Who's gonna take this dog? And who wants the liability uh, of you know, putting this dog out there? I will not do it. And I, um, I don't think euthanasia is the worst thing that can happen to a dog. Um, and, um, and yet, for doing it and for making that decision, very carefully making the decision, I have been threatened uh, in every single way. I've been called horrible things. I've, I've been um, people, as it's obviously happened to you, say that um, I should be euthanized. And it's just, it's, um, there's some lack of humanity there. There's some, there's a, it's a cruelty. I don't think you can be that cruel to a human and be kind to animals. I think being kind and compassionate with animals means you are kind and compassionate with, with human beings. Um, and when that, when that goes awry, it's deeply disturbing. I res very much respected what you were saying with the resource guarding um, today. Um, can you tell, again, those listeners, what is resource guarding? when we say we use that term all the time but for people who might not know exactly what it means can you explain it so resource guarding is a term that we use when a dog um, uh, finds certain items valuable like either food items his food bowl a bone a, a certain toy a ball or his owner or maybe one owner in a multiple owner household um, where the dog finds any of those things so valuable that he would use aggression to protect and keep and uh, control access to that resource. Most commonly you see it around food, um, bones that are chewed, dogs will often guard um, the dishwasher with all the loading it up with the dirty dishes. Dishes. Dogs will guard things 
that they can't eat fast enough or get and if there's competition for it. You frequently see one a dog who will guard one uh, partner in the bed when the other partner gets up to go to the bathroom and they won't let him back in the bed. They like to guard um, beds, uh, sleeping areas, resting areas. Some dogs will guard parts of their body like don't touch my feet, don't touch my neck or my ears when I say so. So I think it's one of the most common forms of aggression. You can have dogs that are competitive and guarding who don't use aggression to do that and that's really what we would want. You know, it's okay if you don't want to share your um, your bed, but maybe you know, groan and and move off and complain. But don't don't as a dog don't pull out a knife and threaten or don't slash your owner for it. We you know the best pet dogs have aggression thresholds that you'll never see. That you know it's hard to to push them to the point where they they get um, protective over something or use aggression. But it's very common. Um, it's hard. It's easier to manage than it, and it's harder to absolutely fix. Although a lot of dogs don't don't go to a dangerous level with it. You know, they just lift a lip or you know get annoyed, but they don't do anything huge. What a lot of people miss is the physical signs, isn't it? Dogs' body language if they're actually communicating, and you know, unless you're Sue Sternberg or Victoria Stillwell or a trainer, or you really, really know dogs extremely well, you're going to miss this really vital body language, this language that this dog is trying to, to communicate to you. Can you tell us some of the more subtler signs that p probably the average person wouldn't know about? Yeah, there's tons of signs and if somebody can show them to you, every one of us could see them. But if nobody shows them to you, you just you don't notice things until the dog's actually flying off the couch at you or whatever. But some of the signs to look at is when a dog shows the whites of his eyes, he's usually stressed, uncomfortable, or, or guarding something. So when you see the whites of the dog's eyes, you need to slow down, back off, and assess how's the dog feeling, what's going on, and what are you doing if you're approaching too fast or invading. Um, dogs who will guard something, uh, let's say they've got a bone and you're approaching, they will often look up at you and then quickly look back at the thing that they are guarding. And um, that's a common behavior and a good one to spot. Freezing is a really common behavior. And freezing, when a dog gets still, and it might just be one part of his body, he might just freeze his head um, and show the whites of his eyes or freeze his whole body. That's usually the warning right before he's going to growl. But when dogs freeze, most of them are simply trying to communicate, hey, back off now or I may have to use aggression. So if you can understand what he's saying and back off, um, you can avoid aggression. It's one of the reasons why children are most commonly bitten by resource guarders. They don't read any of these signs. And so the dog's uh, giving warnings everywhere, but he ends up biting a child. Now, I've seen videos, I've seen film of um, even supposedly knowledgeable trainers seeing very overt signs, but having this whole idea that the dog mustn't win and they, these trainers become extremely confrontational, very violent, and then the dog bites them. If we can learn anything from dogs, when two dogs are interacting, um, almost, almost never do they resort to violence. You'll notice one dog might get angry at another or threaten to bite it. The other dog almost always gets completely still, neutral, looks away, and waits until the other dog has calmed down and then retreating. Dogs don't think of their interactions as combat or dominance or power or 
you know, when you're interacting with dogs, it is not about who's going to win or lose during that interaction. Um, and especially with aggression, your goal with aggression is to keep, keep that dog from pulling out his knife and his gun and, and firing it at you. And when he pulls out his knife or his gun, it is not the time that you go at him to overpower him, whatever. You've got to say, look, this situation is lost. He has hit an aggression threshold. My dog is about to be violent. Don't fight. If you fight with the dog, it should be as a last resort because the dog is literally bringing you down and trying to kill you. And that is so rare. When a dog is aggressive, you do not counter it with aggression. You don't fix aggression with aggression. Um, you fix it by um, cunning and understanding it and trying to manage it if you can. Um, no, we, we should stop confronting dogs and we should stop looking at our relationship with them as a, as a win or lose. It's not a game, it's not a competition, it's a partnership, it's a cooperation. Yeah, but that doesn't fit the whole kind of machismo kind of way that we have certainly here in the United States and in other and in other countries, does it? Yeah. But doesn't it make for sexy t television when you see man battle with dog and man wins and dog is submissive? I mean, we love that in our culture. We don't particularly, but people love that because they don't know any difference. Yeah. Can you explain that? Um, I, I think what people love is the idea of a quick fix, a big blowout confrontation with some quick resolution and TV can make a dog behavior problem look like in half an hour it's edited down to a final product and in in the in truth of dog training and behavior modification first of all very few owners have the time to do all the tedious amounts of work needed to move a dog's threshold to, to make him better and um, and there's nothing glitzy or sexy or um, you know, um, slick about what, what real dog training and real dog behavior is like. It's slow, it's tedious, it's a tremendous amount of time and work, and then, um, and it is never a quick fix. The, most dogs are not cured. They are better, and you learn to communicate with them better, and you learn to compromise on some of the, the triggers, but it makes for boring TV. And, and you know, I, I, I have four dogs. I am their leader. I am their guide. I am their mentor. I am their role model. And I protect them. I, I take care of them. I take care of their needs. I certainly will say no if they need to hear a no. But um, I am not a dominatrix. I do not try to overpower them. We are in a partnership together. And it is of mutual respect. They don't they don't dominate me, they don't come at me, they don't use physical force on me, and I won't do it on them. I think you said the word leader, I mean obviously there's another word out there, pack leader, which makes me laugh, really, because hey, you're not a dog, you're not part of the dog pack, you're a human, a dog knows that you're a human, you're different from them. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be a leader, you can be the kind of leader that can influence behavior in your dog without the use of this confrontation and force and the severe punishment. I also believe that you need to give discipline, but discipline to guide your dog into making the right choices, into setting your dog up for success rather than this domination. Um, and it was interesting because what, what you were saying, when I started my show, which was in late 2004, I started my show, I was all about, oh, this is going to be so exciting, I'm going to show people how to train their dogs in a more in a positive way. I was, I used more sound aversion when I first started, which I don't use anymore, but that's as far as I would go. And um, 
and then very quickly I realized that's not what the producers wanted that's not because to sit down and watch the whole process a you're going to be there for hours and hours and hours and b how boring is clicker training how boring is clicker training to watch for hours and hours and hours so I learned very very quickly and then I had this whole people coming up to me thinking it was done quickly so then I had to go okay on my show this is a long process I'm giving you the tools this is how you start we're going to come back and see where you've got to but this is work in progress this is going to be a life thing and and so I learned but it's uh, I learned the hard way I think and so I'm really glad you said that because I think it's really important that people understand it's not a quick fix if you had one thing to say to our listeners what would it be regarding dogs in the relationship dogs will respond and behave for those who are the most fun and if you can show your dog that you provide not just all the safety and and um, the pleasures but that you are fun to be with and are a good guide they will do anything for you if you're not fun if you're not sharing uh, your all your fun things with your dog you're not hiking with them and taking them for walks and if you're not his best, most fun partner, um, you will not get any respect and you will they will not follow you. That's what being a good leader is, just being a great person to your dog. I think you really hit the nail on the head because if you want your dog to follow you, it's a relationship based on cooperation and not domination. It's, a, it's mutual respect, honor. We must learn more about how they communicate so we can read them better. They're studying us all the time. They're trying so hard to learn what we want to teach them. We need to learn what they are trying to teach us as well. If people want to know more about you, you, I know you talk all around the country, if people want to come to a talk, and I would absolutely advise every single person who's listening to this podcast, please go and see this lady talk. She's not only, I mean, she's very funny while she talks too, she tells great stories, great anecdotes, but you see amazing video, and, and you really get it, you know, you really get it. So um, where, should, where should our listeners go to to find out more information about the talks that you're doing and about more information about you? Um, you can go to www.greatdogproductions.com. They have a, uh, they sell all of my videos, DVDs, um, my um, dog park app, um, clothes and stuff to make you look good when you train your dog. And uh, they're going to take over and have all my schedule. You can also email me there um, and get a hold of me um, and find out where I'm going to be and what I've got available. Sue Sternberg, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much, Victoria. Hey, you got something on your mind? What are you, a wizard, a genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way, some process, they, they physically miniaturize the dog, or is it a puppy, or what, what the devil is going on? That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here. Next time you want to know something, can you repeat the yes. question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, you obviously don't dog. know my dog. Just ask Victoria. All right, so our segment on getting everything we need to know out of Victoria's brain for our dogs. And actually, I'm going to kick this off because I actually have an issue and I need help with. So here's the deal. I have two dogs. Uh, they're both about 80 pounds, six and a half, seven years, almost seven years old, six years old. And um, my next door neighbor has a dog who's about two and a half years old, and she's a little Cavalier King Charles. One of my dogs, you know, is a pit, a bully pit. 
Pitbull mix. The other one's a black and tan coon hound. So my white bully pit is a digger. She used to dig out of the yard, but she hasn't dug in a long time. Barnsley is not, he'll dig every once in a while. I know that when they are out and back in the woods in the back of my house, they may dig a little bit out there, but they have developed a, uh, they've created a lovely, probably two foot by two foot hole right in the middle of my backyard. Now, perhaps there's a Sharpay long distance in China they're trying to reach. I don't know. Um, I know that the Cavalier is an instigator with the digging, but I also know that my dogs will dig over it and they keep, all three of them have their noses in there. Problem I have is I put dirt in there to try and, you know, to, to fill it up and they kick the dirt out and it's killing the grass around it. So it's making the problem worse. So what is going on and how do I stop it? I mean, right now we're in the winter, so you can't really plant grass. I figure in the spring I'll fill it with dirt and then put a piece of sod on it so that maybe they don't, see the dirt and see the fun they've had in there. But until then, we've got many months to go and that hole keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and God knows what they're going to find in there or what's going to take up residence or whatever. Plus they come in and they're all dirty. So I need a little help about preventing them from digging and a fix or, you know, at least an aversion. Do they... Is it on the hill or is it on the flat surface? It's on the flat surface, right in the middle of my backyard, right in the center of the grass. Because they've designed a pretty hole there. And Winnie is the Cavalier King Charles that keeps on coming over, doesn't she, for play dates? and she's a digger. She goes underneath the fence. She's dug a hole there to come into our yard to play with my dog. So she's the one I get bet that started it. Yes. And so they're just all following. Yes. Now, if she's a digger, why is she a digger? I don't know. Is she she digging just because it's habit, because it's fun to do it? Has she heard something down there that goes, all right, I've got to get to this? She doesn't Mm. sort of strike me as a kind of that sort of dog. But... I think, obviously, she's the one who started it. So, mm-hmm. number one, you could say, stop her from coming into the yard. When you stop her from coming into your backyard, you're going to get rid of the problem. Yeah, the only problem with that is I do, she's a sweet dog, and she plays with my dogs a lot. And so I love the fact that, you know, she'll come over and entertain them, and it's a friend coming over. It's like a play date, and it's good for our dog. So we, okay. And we love her, so we don't mind that. But I do, you know. To paint the picture here. Yeah. You're, you're next door to each other. It's yeah. your neighbor's next door, uh, who you get on very well with. Yes. And Winnie, the Cavalier King Charles, brings herself over <laughs> for play dates. <laughs> she does. By coming underneath the fence yeah. into your yard mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah. She was over this morning, yeah. So it's not like her her owner's coming to drop her off no, for play date. She, honestly, we think she thinks she lives in both places. I we honestly think that this is her, she thinks this is her house too. Okay, so you fine, don't but... want to stop the actual source of the whole digging coming into your yard. I mean, right. I, I understand that because that would be a shame that. They couldn't play together, and she does. I mean, because she and one of my dogs, you know, Cashmere especially, they run around the yard, and they're very active and playful together, and it's good exercise for them, and it's mentally great for them. So even if I prevented her from coming over herself, whenever she comes over, she's going to do it. So what I want to know is, in hoping in the spring, I can fill it up and put sod over it, and that would stop because it's not a temptation. Is the hole still there now? Yes. I think you've got to do something to block them from getting access to that hole. Like what if I, so, so just put a massive rock in there and something, stop it. Something, yep. Stop okay. it. Boom. Like that. So if it, now it's winter time when the grass is all dying anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you have that special type of grass, which stays it's, green it's or? It's fairly green, yeah. Okay. Um, 
well, now, now, yeah, put a rock in there. Okay. Block it up. And let's just see if they, okay, they start somewhere else, either on yeah. where else. You see, that that's going to be the issue. Keep an eye on. Okay. S- you don't want her to start another hole somewhere else. You see, that's the only thing. <clears throat> so here, oh, I, I tell me, her, yeah. I'd I love know. play dates, but they'd have to be supervised. Or that's play dates in the house. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can do this. I can do this. I just, yeah, all right. <laughs> I'll accept it. All right, let's move on to someone else with a problem. <laughs> this is Ann James from Upper Hunt. Let's see. Uh, Upper Hunt in New Zealand. Oh, no, I'm Upper Hut. I'm sorry. Do you oh, know upper where the Upper Hut New Zealand is? I know, yeah, no. Do I know where that is? <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to New Zealand. They've got a familiar accent of yours. Gosh, if somebody <laughs> wants to... If somebody wants to do have me down to do a talk in New Zealand... I'll come with you. Please, please, because we really want to go there. I really want to go there. My, my grandfather's family's from there. My grandmother's family's from Australia. Well, then you so. need to go. I know. I'll come I want to go to Australia, too. Don't. I have so many people asking me, please come, please come. Well, let's I will go. come. Just set up a talk, and I'll, I'll come. I'll introduce you. I'll be your... Uh, I'll do your Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can re- do the CNN reporting. There we go. <laughs> okay. This question says, Victoria, I live on a farm and have a German shepherd who is now three years old. He is very aggressive towards the other farm dogs, even though he's the youngest. I have trained him from the time I bought him home, but at times he yet will not listen when he is off on a tangent. That is, that is it. He does not hear me. What can I do to get him to listen to me? Cheers, Anne. First of all, I had to read this twice. Is this a dog or a child or a husband? I'm not really sure that doesn't listen. So it's a three-year-old German shepherd who's aggressive towards other dogs, doesn't listen uh, when he doesn't want to. I'd like to know how many other dogs that they have there. What sexes are those dogs? And has he been neutered yet? See, I don't know whether this the... New Zealand, like Britain is not as, they don't spay and neuter as much as we do here in the United Mm -hmm. States. Maybe that's the same in New Zealand. And so it doesn't matter whether he's younger. Mm -hmm. If he's an unneutered male, he's a young male, he's going to try it on, give it large, (laughs) be controlling. And aggression, again, so many people think aggression is, oh, the dog's trying to raise his status within the pack. Well, most of the time, it's a dog that is controlling, controlling access to resources, controlling access um, or to reproductive access. Uh, a lot of it is that. So I'm saying, do you have females on the property? Are those females fixed or not? Because that can be a, a lot of cause of aggressive behavior between dogs, competitive uh, competition over resources of any kind. Could it also be that dog is insecure, like my dog who is a little aggressive? It's yeah. because it's an insecurity and that he's like trying to be big man, like don't mess with me because... Yes, it is. Scared. It's Look, when, you, when you're talking about controlling behavior or dominance, I mean, I, I, the dominance word has been so misused for so long and so misunderstood that I, I like to use the term controlling behavior more than dominance because, mm-hmm. you know, dominance in dogs is not so much a character trait as it is a relationship, a social relationship between animals. And really the social relationship between animals is all about safety and survival and all about 
competitive or primary access to resources that are going to help your dogs be safe and survive. That's just pure instinct. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if a dog is having a bone, is eating a bone, it will guard its bone from mm -hmm. anybody else coming near it because that is needed for survival. If a dog is guarding a location, that is needed because that is needed for its safety and survival. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So it's less about dominance, and I am going to establish rank over you. It's a three-year-old male. Maybe the male wants to be top dog. That's, that's the whole idea, the sort of the old idea mm -hmm. of why dogs are aggressive. But really, the more studies we've done, the more we've found out that actually it is all about, yes, it's competition, mm -hmm. no doubt about it, but it's competition to be able to have access to what you want. Plus, there's also an anger component, component in aggressive behavior too. So are other dogs frustrating him? Is he getting angry? Is it, um, uh, is it play that's getting, that they're getting too aroused and the, the play is overstimulating the dog? I mean, if the dog's on a farm, then I would think it's leading a pretty active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that I can suggest is that um, depending on how far the aggression has got or how intense it is because dogs play roughly and sometimes people can think that dogs are being aggressive and actually not being aggressive at all they're just playing roughly mm -hmm. but if your dog is wounding other dogs if your dog's having a scuffle yet no dog has come up without a scratch that's more of just sibling a rivalry uh, and that's a that's a little that's an irritation mm -hmm. that's an argument But if you come to the point where dogs are actually hurting each other and putting each other in the veterinarian, then there has to be separation. Mm -hmm. Now, it just might be what people don't realize is when they have multi-dogs in a household, you have chosen the friends for your dog. Your dog hasn't chosen its friend. Mm. So you, your, your three-year-old German Shepherd might be fine with, other, with some other, another mix of dogs, but not just with this mix of dogs just doesn't gel. Like we don't as people get on with everybody, do we? Not everybody mm -hmm. we meet. We find people we want to be with and there are people that we don't want to spend any time with. And it's the same with dogs. So it might mean actually if you're getting to the point where the dogs are aggressing to the point where a dog is being sent to the veterinarian where there does have to be either separation 100% of the time or rehoming. Okay, good to know. Um, this one is from Carol Smith in Portland, Oregon, and she says, Hi, Victoria. We got a four-year-old Australian shepherd earlier this year, and we think his previous owners must have been older people because whenever my two kids or my husband roughhouse a little, he jumps, barks, and acts like he will bite them. How can I stop this? Thank you so much. He's joining Carol. in the game. If yeah. you're roughhousing with your kids, jumping, barking, he wants to be part of the game. Simple, simple, simple. The solution, don't roughhouse in front of him. There you go. That's it. Okay. And it may not necessarily be older people. It may just be no. that. Yeah, it could have been He anything. could have been with another family that roughhoused and did exactly the same thing. So it's a learned behavior. But he just gets excited, it, 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 you know, and then sometimes they'll get overly aroused and then they use the teeth and yada, yada, yada. Just roughhouse somewhere else. And play with him in a different manner. Exactly. Okay. This is from Heidi in uh, Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And she says, 
My parents, mother and stepfather, have large dogs that fight while in the house. They live in a tiny double wide, and both dogs fight dealing with jealousy when one dog receives human affection before the other dog. The fighting scares the household and creates stress for the family. Sometimes my family would get angry and try to beat them until they separate them. I don't want to be judgmental because I think they react out of stress. We really don't want the dogs to get hurt as well as the people. Can you help give us a realistic solution to our situation? And I know what you're going to say here. Well, here again, this is about competitive access, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, jealousy over a person. And it it is. When you think about it, when you stroke your dog, your dog has lots of lovely, pleasurable feelings. They Mm -hmm. feel comforted. They feel safe. They feel great. There's pleasurable endorphins going through their bodies. The stress level's going down. It's great. You don't want that loss of pleasure. Mm-hmm. You see that your important person petting another dog, that's loss of comfort. That's loss of safety. That's loss of pleasure. So then that, again, is competition. And fights will occur when two dogs in a household or three dogs put the same emphasis, the same importance on that particular resource, which is that particular person. So, here's a little difference. If the fighting's got really bad, you've got to do the separation or rehoming. Mm-hmm. It just because you're, you're uh, and people say, ah, oh, but you're just taking the easy way out. No, I'm not. Mm-mm. I'm reducing stress for these animals that have to live 24-7 with each other that don't want to be with each other. And so they're probably better in another household. However, um, I've also taught dogs in a household that are not killing each other. Right. I've also taught dogs to tolerate the other one being petted. So mm. what I'll do is that I will say, let's take Archie. Um, who did I do this with? Manny and Archie. So Manny is in a sit and stay. When it's um, Archie's time, and I say Archie's time for petting. So I'll put Manny sit and stay. Now it's Archie's time. Then I'll put Archie in a sit and stay, Manny's turn or time. And both dogs learn that when I say Archie's time or Manny's time, that's a time that the other dog has to go into their space to settle when I'm giving the other dog affection. I've taught a lot of families to do that with their dogs, and it's worked really, really well. And if, uh, if, if one dog is sort of fighting, not fighting back, but if one dog is being restless and they're not so agreeable to go into their sit and stay would you bring one dog into another room and do and give them their own time in their own room yes i would uh, you know separation is fine separation can sometimes make the dogs a little bit more frustrated but i also would i would also walk the dogs together um i would have great things happen um when one dog enters the room i would um treat the dog that I'm with Mm -hmm. and then treat that other dog as it comes into the room so both dogs see their being together as being a good thing rather than a negative thing. Walking is such a great pleasurable exercise. I would take them to agility class, doing agility side by side, activity side by side, all of that kind of stuff to say, look, we're a whole team. We're a whole group of people and dogs together having fun together. And but as I said, if dogs are wounding each other, then mm-hmm. it's got to a point where it potentially has gone too far. Now, if you've got a dog fight going, if we've got a dog fight and don't get in there, please don't get in there. 
get a blanket, throw it over your dogs. Or if you're outside and there's a hose, you know, put mm-hmm. water on your dogs. Just if you get in there, you are going to get bitten. And what about, you know, your first reaction would be to scream, you know, stop yeah. at the dogs. Does that sort of no, incite No, it doesn't. More? And, of course, look, I've done it. We've all done it. When you see a dog fight, you you suddenly go into survival mode and you, you make a lot of noise and you mm-hmm. jump around and it's really difficult to – but no, because it's almost like you're, you're feeding the fire. Mm-hmm. And that that's why now when I see dogs fighting, I will. I'll take them off my jacket or whatever I have – on to a point or I'll get a blanket or something near me and throw it over the dog as soon as you as soon as they can't see anything you'll find the dogs separate if they're not doing it you get a chair put it put the chair don't hurt them but sort of put them on top of them put Mm -hmm. the chair in between them or get a divider something to divide them don't put your hand in there you will get bitten okay how about um Stacy from Salisbury, Maryland, and this question is, do you have any books on dog training or training dogs? I'm, I'm taking dog training classes with positive reinforcement being the method, and I'm looking to know all I can. I want to be able to be there for my dogs in the most effective and gentle manner I can. Thank you. And I love this girl. I don't know who she is, but I love her attitude yes, and brilliant. her approach. So, yes, you have. Yes, I do. It's me all the dog, How to Have the Perfect Pet. And also, my new book, which I'm so excited about, which is coming out March 2013, Train Your Dog Positively. Awesome. Buy them. And you can actually pre-order my new book on Amazon already, so look out for it. It's a corker. I love it. And before we go, because we are now long-winded here... um, Briefly, Hero Dogs, uh, Hero Dog Awards aired. It was great. Your daughter Alex was on it. Oh my gosh, she was on. I was so fabulous. I was actually out that evening that it aired, but she watched it with her babysitter. And oh, she was there. And I didn't care about seeing myself. I did a a tribute. uh, I presented a tribute with Ricky Behrens, Mm -hmm. the swimmer that we talked about. And uh, I didn't couldn't give a rip to doo about watching that. I just wanted to see Alex that I saw, and I also saw my husband Van too. He just looked very very smart in his tuxedo. He hates wearing anything. Like oh that. right, yeah. Oh yes, yeah, t-shirt and jeans all the time. So I have to dress up in a tuxedo. <laughs> but there was Alex. It was so cool. The next Aww. day she went to school, and all her friends were saying, and her teachers, mm-hmm. "We saw you at television." She was very embarrassed. It was great. I love. The American Humane Association. I love them. I love them. I love them. (laughs) And I hope this award ceremony, the Hero Dog Awards, happens every year. But the American Humane Association, please look them up. They do so much good work, not just for animals, but for children too. Please donate to them. They need your donations for all of the incredible things they do. We'll put... um, their link up on our website uh, it's already up there but we'll again link it to the podcast and please support them with everything that you have fantastic all Thank right you. and uh, next week is thanksgiving so we have a lot to talk about and we'll talk about what we're thankful for so until then happy dogs see you later thanks for tuning in to victoria stillwell's positively podcast for more information visit positively.com Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.